0: Lord, I thank you for this uh, time here today. I thank you, God, for these technological tools that we have. And I pray, God, that you continue to work in the hearts of your people and just be with them wherever they are. And I pray, God, that we'll, we'll hear from your word today and that my words will not get in the way, but that your word will speak clearly and touch people's hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as you can probably tell, I did not have this week's passage read since we heard it two weeks ago. Um, And I'm I'm going to overlap with Pastor Roger's message a bit, but also hopefully bring out some new ideas from Nehemiah 10 and into 11. I think it's especially fitting to be following Easter and the message of God's salvation covenant with his people, since today we will hear about the Israelites' attempts to, to try and fulfill their end of the covenant. Uh, Church history through the centuries is full of people who've been set apart and separated from the dominant culture for God. If you think of almost any missionary, you will see a story of separation from and initially even within a people group. And we're all on a mission of our own, even here, so it's no different really for us today. Uh, In general, we saw in chapter 9... The confession is a huge part of what the people were called to do. They were also focused on the Word of God for long periods of time. This led them to repentance and the desire to reaffirm the covenant. In today's passage, we will see them proceed through four broad steps. Uh, These will be submission to the Word of God, which we've talked about some already, separation from the society around them, uh, renewed focus on the Sabbath, and increased support for the house of God. And that last one will sort of be the the bulk of it. These things are always important, but particularly connect with our church's transition period right now, I think, too. And so just so you know, too, my assigned portion really begins at verse 30, but I'm going to backtrack to 28 and 29, just to kind of review and, and introduce, uh, since we had the Easter message in between. So, verse 28 of Nehemiah 10 says The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples to the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, and all who have knowledge and understanding. Uh, Just to review, the Levites, as you know, probably, are the class of leaders that were the keepers in the temple, both in spiritual and physical ways. In our particular church, they would be a combination of an elder who does spiritual leading and teaching, and a deacon who's focused kind of on the physical needs of the church. Uh, we, We see that the Levites, plus all of the other people, had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God. They purposefully and deliberately set themselves apart from those around them to be noticed and be on mission. Um, A few years ago, our former pastor Leland Botset and some other leaders of the Baptist General Conference of Canada uh, got together, I think it was in Montreal, and established some important national landmarks about what we believe. Additionally, some of you might remember our own church, after seeing some issues brewing back in about 2014, went through a process of revisiting and reworking our church bylaws to, as a group, clearly establish what we believe as a Bible-following, BCBC-adhering church. To that end, in February of 2017, we had a special celebration and a vote where the new bylaws were approved by 100% of the voting members involved. These things were all important steps to lay the groundwork for where we are now moving forward. In North America right now, being a true biblical Christ follower is no longer really socially acceptable due to the encroachment of culture, postmodernism, moral relativism, progressivism, and probably some other isms. It is now almost an act of rebellion to follow Jesus. But that's perfect. He told us this would happen for his name. So be encouraged as we habitate the city after rebuilding some walls. Uh, Jesus is in the process of restoring and refining and reviving his people. And that's where we are right now. Uh, in verse 29, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes. Uh, they knew at Nehemiah's time that walking with God and submitting to his word, which is that broad idea, like number one is a very dangerous proposition in some ways. It says it's a curse and an oath. There are of course incredible eternal blessings for walking properly with him, but also devastating outcomes from improper ways. Not that the eternal blessing is from our works, but we are responsible for our reaction to God saving us. And we don't get to define the terms In Jeremiah 34.18, we read that, The men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and pass between its parts. Or in Galatians 6, we see that we should, quote, Not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. If you or I or we drift off by only 1% over time, that adds up to a large drift. We cannot allow that to happen. And that is exactly what Nehemiah was trying to recover, and we are trying to prevent. Jesus simplified it for us. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It is on God's terms, though. Love comes with standards, too, which many people around us do not like to hear. We are to speak the truth in love, but the truth of the Bible is still the truth. It's not an oath to be cavalier about, as Nehemiah tells us. In verse 30, it says, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. So this is really the start of my passage and involves broad point number two. Uh, We are separated for God. Now, just to be totally clear, this division is based on religious, not racial grounds. In, in every commentary and sermon that I read on this passage, every single author made a point to make a direct appeal to be sure that we know that it's a religious separation, not a racial. Paul wrote about this separation in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, which is another word for the flesh or the devil? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I'll make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. There, at Nehemiah's time, there had been some social and economic benefits of intermarriage with the polytheistic people living in the region of Israel. Nehemiah tells us that that needed to stop as they were moving forward. And I will talk about being in the world, uh, not of the world, a bit later in this message. But for now, let's just establish that God himself commands us to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers and even specifies marriage specifically and that we are to, quote, be separate in our beliefs. In verse 31, And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year, and the exaction of every debt the third broad point of this passage is the rules and ideas regarding the Sabbath or the day of rest on the seventh day or the year of rest in the seventh year as you likely know this has become one of the I guess controversial parts of church life for some Uh, A friend with a busy family once told me that a different friend of his criticized him for doing laundry on a Sunday because he and the machines were working. On the other hand, when our daughters were playing soccer for many years, their games were often on Sundays. And since there were three Christian girls on the team, upon our request, our coach, thankfully, made every attempt to have home and away games scheduled after 2 o'clock so that the three girls could play. I think there's something to be shown for standing up for God, even if we're criticized or it's difficult. In the passage, the peoples of the land are non-Jewish, and the Jews themselves had previously used this as a loophole to justify doing business on the Sabbath, since the peoples did not observe the Sabbath. Obviously, as we know, the command regarding the Sabbath comes from the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, And rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The key to remember is that the Sabbath is about trusting God every day, every week, and every seven years. Also, at their time, the foregoing of the crops on the seventh year was about forgiving debts. As we saw last week, our debt is already paid in full. Jesus paid the price for us. We simply need to hear the good news, repent of our sins, confess our need for God, and then trust that he will carry us the rest of the way home. In verse 32, we see, we will also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. This verse brings us to the fourth big idea of, of my message, and that is the support and service of the house of God. Exodus 30 outlines many of the ideas and rules about the maintenance of the temple. The bottom line is that God's house is the place where we meet, but in New Testament times, which is us of course, we are the church not the building itself. As we've experienced during COVID, there has been a lot of discussion and, I suppose, consternation regarding churches meeting together physically. I'm not going to get into that at the moment, but we'll touch on it a bit later. This passage contains a new tax, which was not previously found in Mosaic Law. It is specifically for the upkeep of the temple building. How the building appears when people are able to come is a reflection of our relationship as a group with God. At Aerosmith, there have been many building projects over the years, and many of them good for lots of reasons. But sometimes just the mention of certain things, like paint color or kitchen renovations or how the chairs are arranged, reveals people's hearts. As Nehemiah 10.32 tells us, God's people need to financially support the building and the workers, and not only with money, but with their time and having the right motivation. Verse 33 continues with, Or the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel, and for all, of the, all the work of the house of our God. There's some fascinating history in here that is also appropriate on the heels of Easter. The showbread was specially prepared to represent the 12 tribes of Israel for the Sabbath. The grains and the offerings were likewise part of the symbolism of the sacrifice on the altar. Today, yeah, today we can think of every day as the Lord's Day, not just the Sabbath. The new moons refers to the changing of the months and the accompanying festivals. Sin offerings and atonement have been supplanted by Jesus himself. The atonement was often a lamb, and as we just celebrated last week and remember with communion, Jesus was and is the Lamb of God, slain for our sins. The purpose of the phrase, the work of the house of God, is to share the good news of the gospel. Our job is to simply to tell people about what he's done for us. We have seen that with things like baptisms and even the four H's. We support the work in many ways, and we should also remember Jesus' sacrifice often. Continuing, we the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of God according to our Father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. I was thinking that around here on Vancouver Island uh, getting wood for the offering would be easy. In Israel or back in Saskatchewan much less forested places, it would require a lot more effort. In Leviticus 6, we see the, the rules for that, and it says in, in verse 12, the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it, it shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it, and shall burn, it, shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually, it shall not go out. So it require constant attention, kind of like our walk does. The fathers' houses portion of the verse relates to the various tribes, but also to the sense of tradition and family connection within the church body. It is also more than that, in that the Bible commands us to train up our children in the way that they should go. Uh, we cannot just quote let them decide or choose for themselves as our culture would certainly prefer and even dictate. The year-by-year portion brings to mind that our walk is a marathon, not a sprint. Yes, we are justified as an event, so to speak, but sanctification is a long-term process. Belonging to a church and the body is vitally important, not only for the upkeep of the house of God, but for showing and sharing the good news together. However and whenever we're able. In verse 35, it says, We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of God. Following the Lord requires commitment and dedication to give Him our best. The agricultural references are to the produce that helps support the temple staff and personnel. So our support can be basic, like growing things, but still important. As we've heard before, there are many roles and responsibilities in the church. Again, we see the year-by-year call to give our best. And we've been talking about where Aerosmith will be in one year, or 10 years, or another 50 years. Uh, Sort of conversely, Uh, Recently on a Baptist uh, Facebook page that I follow, there was a a humorous call, I don't know, maybe you've seen these, but it says, explain that you're a Baptist without stating so directly. There's all these things about buffets and potlucks, of course, and dancing and whatnot. But I thought of the, uh, and some of you have seen this, the, the temporary ledge that's over there in the kitchen. Temporary ledge or shelf that George installed by the kitchen in the church back in 1981, so that he and Trish could have a wedding. It's been there for 40 years, this temporary ledge, and I laugh about it every time I walk by it once I learned what, what it was about. Um, and no slight intended to George, of course, um, none, none at all. Uh, God wants our best, so maybe the 40-year-old temporary shelf deserves an upgrade as part of our transition. But then people will fight over the paint color, so there we go. Verse 36, also to bring to the house of God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks. Uh, Continuing the idea of serving the house of God, from Exodus 13, they were to consecrate their firstborn, people and animals, Now, obviously, people and animals are totally different, but their animals were important from a dietary and sacrificial perspective. This also had to do with looking ahead to future populations of both. And the idea of of tithing people is interesting in terms of raising up and giving over future leaders for all kinds of God's work. Raising up leaders is something that Pastor Leland did with his Second Timothy group years ago. Years ago. And, and we're aiming to continue this trend through our transition process. So I'd ask you to, to please pray for the next generation of church leaders here at our church and more broadly. In verse 37, we see, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, The fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. All of these things had a purpose, with many of them being related to eating and drinking, in addition to sacrificing. Now in New Testament times, we are told that whatever we eat or drink, we should do it for God's glory and that man does not live by bread alone. God provides, and we give back from what he provides. As I said before, we don't just tithe with our money. We support God's house and people in many different ways. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God to the chambers of the storehouse. This comes from Numbers 18, where they were told that, quote, you shall speak and say to the Levites, when you take from the people of Israel the tithe that I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present a contribution from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. And your contribution shall be counted to you as though it were the grain of the threshing floor, and as the fullness of the winepress. So the leaders were to tithe, even upon the tithe, to provide for the work of the temple. Now this is, I read in a couple places, also an example of how they got quite focused on trying to uphold the law, which is good, but there's also a danger in man's attempt to do everything exactly to the letter. The big picture is we are to do our best to look after the house of God. And we need his constant direction to keep us on the right path, especially in terms of our motivation. Verse 39 says, For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers, where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers, we will not neglect the house of our God. An interesting idea that I read about their time in this passage is that the temple is a a talisman or symbolic idea, but also an actual place. But it's not meant to become a physical burden either. During COVID, we have done our best to balance meeting together with being a good example through respecting the health authority. And I know that some people think that the church in general should have been being maybe more disobedient this last while, um, but I'm not sure that we would gain a lot of support. And also, if it is that we are being persecuted, then that was and is part of God's plan for our lives. He promised us that. When it says to not neglect the house of God, it means the place and the people. As Aerosmith is going through a transition, please prayerfully consider how you can get involved in serving the people if you're not already doing something. We need all hands on deck. We all miss meeting together. But there are things we can do in the meantime. Such as love, forgive, praise, proclaim, rejoice, suffer, grieve, support, share, and even baptize. And there's lots of more things too. Now in the first part of chapter 11, it signals kind of a new direction in, in this book of Nehemiah. And the first verse says, Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring out of ten, sort of bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. As I said, this is the start of a new direction in this book, and the book starts to record the repopulation of the city. The list that follows is not a rabble of refugees, but a strategic attempt to shine in the darkness. 1 John 2 says that we should, quote, not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, it is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We must read the room and know the situation we live in, but we should also not shelter ourselves and lose our influence. One good apple does not make a full barrel of rotten apples good, but we also have no influence if we don't engage with the lost, the hostile, and the broken. As Nehemiah needed God's intervention to restore the city, so do we. And in 2021, there's lots of rebuilding to be done in our society. Chapter 11, verse 2 states, And all the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. They are obedient and submissive to God. They are set apart. They are influencing the formerly shattered city. One tenth of the people decided to live in Jerusalem. We are to bless those that willingly sacrifice and act upon God's behalf for his purposes. And ultimately, that should be all of us in one way or another. Now, finally, in verse 3, it says, These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem. But in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem live certain of the sons of Judah and the sons of Benjamin. Of the sons of Judah, Athiah, the son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, son of Amariah, son of Shepatiah, son of Mahalalel, of the sons of Perez. Aside from the priests and officials, Israel also denotes regular people and citizens engaged in the mission. It's a cross-section of society, just like us. Our church has a mission statement, to passionately proclaim the glory of God in Christ for the joy of all people. There's a lot in there to think about and to consider moving forward. The Bible commands us to go and share the good news with all people, God commanded us to love him and our neighbor. Sometimes we might not feel worthy of these things. Two of my favorite non-biblical examples of the, quote, non-worthy are from literature and the movies. In the Marvel Universe, Steve Rogers originally felt unworthy, but volunteered and then was chosen to fight and become Captain America. Because although small physically, his heart was in the right place. In the Lord of the Rings, Frodo Baggins, a lowly hobbit, offered to transport the ring of power when many more powerful beings proved themselves unworthy, mainly due to pride. Like Steve and Frodo and the Israelites, we need to submit humbly, commit to the cause, Serve and give our best as we strive to be God's hands and feet in the battle for the souls of his lost children that are all around us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time here today. I pray that your word just goes out and touches people's hearts, that that's what people remember, your word, because it's eternal. You are the word of God. We have your word to read And I pray that we would have a hunger to read your word and to live by its precepts and to walk with you all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.